So, uh, James, welcome. How are you doing? I am doing good. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Uh, thanks for agreeing to come on and talk to uh, me, talk to Game Dev Breakdown listeners. Uh, for listeners not yet familiar, why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, I am James D'Amato. I am the host of the One Shot Podcast, the Campaign Skyjacks Podcast, uh, president of the One Shot Podcast Network, but I am also the author of the Ultimate RPG Guide series, um, but which is published by Adams Media. It's a collection of accessory books for role-playing games uh, to basically break down uh, different processes like developing character backstories or world-building uh, with exercises and mini games to make those things uh, more fun and easy to do. First, why don't we talk a little about the the one-shot empire. Well, one-shot network is the correct term, but in my notes I had kind of like explain the one-shot empire that has kind of grown and expanded out of what <laughs> you're doing because it seems like a lot of hands touch this now, right? Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, so it started, um, I came out to Chicago after college because I wanted to be a comedian. Um, and I went through improv classes at Second City and IO and, and the conservatory at the Second City. And um, I, I was looking for really anything to break into a career in comedy. And, and me and my buddy started a podcast, just like a regular comedy podcast. And we got picked up by a small podcasting network out here. And uh, the network head at the time had heard that in college, I had done a lot of role-playing games. And I see role-playing and improv as like very closely related skill sets um, in the first place. I kind of think of role-playing games as very sophisticated improv forms um, that sort of guide decisions and whatnot uh, through their rules rather than, you know, through building a, a foundation of technique and providing structure uh, that way. Um, it You can take somebody who has no improv experience whatsoever and put them in situations where they can still leave with like kind of a coherent story and authentically make decisions as a character. Anyway, um, he had been listening to an actual play program and he's like, hey, can you do something like this for our network? So I took a look around at, you know, at the time at uh, 2012, 2013, what actual play was like um, at those times. And I kind of found that there were a lot of Dungeons and Dragons related things. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of people playing the Pathfinder uh, campaign, Rise of the Rune Lords, both across <laughs> like podcasts and YouTube, but not much of anything else. And one of the things that I was really blessed with in, in my college experience of role-playing games is a great variety uh, uh, that RPGs could have, like uh, experiencing all different kinds of systems. So I came back with the concept of, I want to do a show where we run one-shot adventures in as many different systems as possible. And we started out, you know, doing this mostly with folks who uh, had improv experience, had the kind of like foundational, like creative performance um, sort of in their skill set. And we moved on to expand to like do improvisers and folks who, you know, maybe designed games and whatnot, and really uh, took a look at how many different games can we feature? What can we show people that like 
a lot of people don't associate with the idea of, of being role-playing games. And it ballooned from there. You know, I, I think a big part of it is we were kind of fortunate at the time. There were just not a lot of people doing what we were doing. Hmm. And so attention came to us and we sort of spun that off into like other things that we wanted to do. We, we, we did another show that was a campaign, which was looking at like, okay, what does long form storytelling look like in, in our style through our approach? Um, and we added a bunch of shows to the network with the idea of our core ethos, which became how do we make role-playing games as accessible and inclusive as, as possible? You know, I want to look at as many different games, as many different designers, um, and make uh, put those things in a platform so that people can really engage with them and find them more easily. And so that's sort of how we started slowly expanding out and it's, you know, become what it is today. This show didn't start that late or that early, I should say, but um, that's about when I started podcasting in general. And uh, Mm -hmm. people who started back then have had the time to really follow things as they've progressed and uh, learned the tricks and followed the right sort of evolutions of, uh, of marketplaces and stuff. I mean, that alone is, is kind of tricky, right? I mean, you've, it seems like you've kept up with that pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, podcasting has certainly changed, uh, uh many times, uh, since, yeah. since we've started. Um, but I, I do think we were fortunate, uh, to come in kind of at a period where, the changes that happened um, didn't challenge the way that we we did things too much. Like like we were always able to find a way to move forward, kind of doing what we were doing. And like today, you know, the expectation for the actual play market is is way different. Like uh, every episode of One Shot these days is edited to have like a soundscape and mm-hmm. uh, everything in it, which you know, starting out, that was not at all the expectation. A couple shows did do that. Um, but, you know, it wasn't something that you had to do. And I think, honestly, if we had to start there, that probably would have gated us out of it because the amount of time uh, and effort that you have to put into sound design, yeah, we, we, we couldn't have afforded it. Um, but these days, you know, because we were sort of able to get that early start and grow our, our Patreon and audience to a point where we can pay an editor to do that sort of thing, like, yeah, we can still approach with like a clean sound, um, uh, but also provide these sort of like more immersive soundscapes that that people are looking for. Um, so yeah, we, we came in at a time that allowed us to grow at a pretty even pace and helped us turn these shows into something that, you know, people wanted to listen to. Yeah. And I mean, if you, if you want a glimpse at how quickly things have moved, when I, when I first started, I was working with a panel of buddies, just friends who were working together on a, uh, a geek culture website and that's no longer around, but we, every week we'd get together and talk about the latest games, movies, uh, books we were reading, anything we were excited about in just the nerd world. And we went to Twitch way back then and said, Hey, we're doing, we're talking about getting video going. Like, could we do this on Twitch? And back then we got in touch with a person, which is not as easy to do anymore. Yeah. And they said, no, <laughs> they said, that's, that's not enough of a video game focus. We don't want that on Twitch. And now of course you can Twitch yourself grocery shopping. If you want, anything goes on, yeah. on Twitch now, but that's how much things have, have changed since that time. So 
And it's not even the podcast market too. It's the games market. Uh, I know when I started out, like Kickstarter was really just (laughs) starting up. Like uh, I I think maybe two years, three years before I started um, my thing was like one of the first big games Kickstarters. Um, And it was the sort of thing before that where you needed like a mid-sized publisher or to somehow be a small publisher that got a booth at Gen Con to have Mm -hmm. any traction at all, have any chance of anyone finding your game. Suddenly, like, especially when we were doing it, it was commonplace that as long as you had an idea and you could kind of like make a video and graphics for it, you had a real chance of like getting your game published. So there was an explosion of what, you know, the average person was able to understand an RPG to be at that time, which was a, a huge change and like really affected kind of how we did our business. How long, I mean, with this level of production value for you guys now, which again, yeah, people are are looking for, and uh, I think it's great that you're able to provide it, but I mean, how much, how much time does it take to turn that around for an episode? Um, so I would say, uh, an average episode probably has something like start to finish, not counting game prep or anything like, like 20 hours of, of work that's put into it. Like there's the actual recording itself. Um, there is the variable length of, uh, the production based on how intense the sound design is. Then from there, you know, there's like the, you know, checks for content notes and, um, posting the episode itself. Uh, it it can all break down to different periods and, you know, that that's for a single episode. So a series, which we usually break up our recordings like hour by hour and post those episodes as hour long chunks. Um, you know, it's a staggering amount of work that, that goes into a series. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. The, the gap between, uh, content like this and what people used to think of as just like traditional, like TV uh, (laughs) series or, or something like that, like that, that, gap is starting to to shrink a little bit like it, it's a, a shrinking expected. gap yet with no more money uh, yeah, oddly not, enough <laughs> not an extra dime that's correct yes yeah <laughs> let's talk about the latest book uh how recently was did it come out this uh expanded ed- edition okay uh so yes this is an important thing to talk about um so first of all uh this came out uh around mid-june um mm-hmm. so uh, actually june 14th it came out on my birthday oh, um nice. The expanded genres edition for the character backstory guide is not uh, an expanded edition of the book. This is a bit of a misnomer that I think has hurt sales maybe a bit. Uh, This is a brand new book um, uh, that there's there's not a single bit of repeated content in in this. Um, My first book was the Ultimate RPG Character Backstory Guide, which was about a hundred different like exercises and things that was entirely fantasy focused, like all, you know, fantasy adventure D and D stuff. Um, and we had sort of talked about for years, like, I was like, you know, there's so much more to role-playing games. Like I'd love to do different genres and, and feature them kind of the way that we did for our world building guide. And I finally got the go ahead to do that. Um, so this book takes the same approach as the first book, like exercises and mini games, 
helping expand on character backstory, but it does it not just with the fantasy genre, but like kind of the, what what I see as like the major, most popular role-playing genres that are out there. Um, I wanted everybody who bought a copy of the book to walk away with like at least a dozen exercises that would be immediately relevant to whatever game they might be playing at the time. And that's something that strikes me about all of your work is, as you said, just how widely varied it it is at this point uh, for a new person jumping in who's probably coming in thinking like, are they playing D&D? Are they playing Pathfinder? Like, you are all over, like, in in a good way. I mean, you've found a ton of different things to try. I mean, that's what it feels like, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. And, and, and I want to encourage people in those directions. Like, I remember when I was in college, before I had really stepped outside of D&D, I was using D&D 3.5 to do kind of every genre imaginable because, like, I I, I had the hunger to, like, break outside into things like noir or, or westerns or you know what 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 have you um and this book like kind of anticipates that maybe it's not the role playing system that you're changing but like just kind of the tone and style that you want to approach storytelling with um so you know it could apply to a, a D&D game but it will like ground you in a, a, a horror ethos or 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 you know kind of what we look at in in sci-fi with speculative fiction um uh challenging you to broaden the horizons for this character and to you know uh take on different genre conventions uh to make a story that like you find fun and interesting um so yeah that, that that's really what i was looking for in it is just expand the possibilities and you know make expanding those possibilities as approachable as possible for whoever would want to pick up the book. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that the the book mentioned the improv training. Uh, you mentioned it here. That's that was, honestly, that was another reason I was excited to talk to you because I'm a big comedy nerd. Uh, I've <laughs> I've always kind of wanted to do improv, but in St. Louis, it's a little harder to get into, though. To be fair, there are some options out here. Well, and to be fair, those options that used to be in Chicago aren't really here since the pandemic. Um, so, oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. The live theater scene was not resilient in the face of people not being able to go out and do things. Um, yeah. uh, so while we do have a couple of venerable improv theaters uh, that, that managed to stick it out, uh, the big ones like IO and Second City, you know, either got sold off to um, private equity firms, which is never a good sign, or, you know, <laughs> shut their doors and were then sold to real estate developers who insist that they still want to do the same thing. Um, so it's uh, not clear what what Chicago looks like as, as the hub of improv anymore. But, you know, thankfully, a lot of folks uh, who do teach improv at different places in the com- uh, country, like, have uh, some of the foundational skills that like are were developed here in Chicago. Um, looking at improv as an art form, and specifically looking at long form improv, and those skills I think translate very easily to role playing tables. Um, mm-hmm. You can you know take some improv classes, kind of learn how collaboration works, and sort of the tools of flexibility right, that 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 help you be a better collaborator and that 
I think, you know, is a one-to-one translation of having more fun at the table and producing stories that like are more fun to think about and listen to and be a part of. Yeah. Cause it, I mean, it's an evolving experience. Once you get around a table with your friends, it's, you can plan as long as you want. And once everybody gets in, it seems to me in my limited experience, I've played a little bit, but it seems like once everyone's there and sort of interacting that, uh, if you're ready to really bounce back and forth off of one another and, uh, hear something new, introduce a new element and, and know how to support the people around you to make it a more fun, more interesting thing. Yeah, that, that seems huge. And, uh, my, I mean, my theory I've, I've operated in the past with is if you're doing other stuff, game development, uh, writing your own stories, whatever, like once you've sort of been trained to kind of think like that, that applies forever. You're better in a room brainstorming. You're better during like a a game jam where you've got limited time to figure stuff out and think about things. Uh, that seems to help the creative process just about everywhere, right? Yeah, I, I would say the diversity of of creative experience um, is always helpful. Always, you know, provides the skill set that you need to improve the experience that's going to follow that. Which is actually one of the reasons that I'm such a huge proponent of different role playing systems, different role playing styles. Uh, if you are a heavy prep, you know, a dungeon master, if you like oh, I like to prepare my world. I like to prepare my dungeons and prepare my adventures for my players. If you take some time to play some games that do not allow you to prepare, like playing a a, a fiasco or um, you know doing something powered by the apocalypse where you are sort of allowing the story to evolve for itself, the next time you sit down for your preparations, you will have a more flexible improvisation-focused skill set that even if you're just doing it with yourself, uh, I, I think you'll find that your experience um, is enriched by that perspective. And definitely when you're sitting at the table reacting to player choices, uh, you will find that having like the frameworks that you got just by playing those games will make you a, a stronger game master, um, more able to react and uh, sort of, how do I want to put it? Um, elevate the ideas of of the players that you're at the table with. But what occurred to me while I was thinking about this was my as I mentioned my limited experience, I've played with friends before, a couple of different uh tabletop RPGs, things of, of this nature and what struck me is how could you ever get consistent enough games going to do what you're doing? I mean, is that difficult? Uh, yeah definitely i mean i I think i tweeted as a joke the other day it's like it's we we joke about like scheduling being difficult for role-playing games but i pay everybody at the table with me to be there and it's still hard to get everybody in one place at one time (laughs) yeah um uh, you know thankfully the nature of one shot makes that a little bit easier in I don't have to be with the same group every time. I've got a rotating cast of people that I work with. So it's whoever is available for whatever game, you know, that is our cast. That's what we're playing. Um, So that's a little bit more flexible and that, that makes that easier. Um, You know, for campaign skyjacks, like I have been working uh, with the same group of people uh, for, you know, now four years on skyjacks and, before that, like four years on on the Star Wars campaign that we did, 
that's challenging. You know, people go through different life things. We can only meet, you know, twice a month, which like gives us just enough of, of the audio that we need uh, so that we're not like worried about being behind on recording and whatnot. Um, <laughs> it, it can be very challenging, um, but you know, it's, it's all a flexibility thing. It's a logistic thing. And for me, because it's a professional engagement, you know, I am paying people to be there. There is a much heavier motivation behind like, Hey, we've signed contracts. Like we need to make yeah. sure that we're available for this many times uh, a, a week. Um, definitely starting out. There is something about, you know, being 25 and having the energy of someone who is 25 and the passion uh, uh, for these things where you can go, okay, pushing past all that. How do we make sure these things get recorded? How do we make sure that they get out? How are we breaking down those recordings to make it a sustainable practice? Uh, so it's difficult when you transform uh, it from one type of entertainment into sort of mass appeal entertainment. Um, but, you know, that's all theater stuff. That's like, how do you break down a production schedule and how do you make sure uh, the entertainment machine keeps moving? Yeah. <laughs> and that occurred to me because, I mean, I run a mostly lightly conversational podcast and it's difficult to keep this running sometimes either. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I joked recently that when we came back from a short break, uh, I probably reached out to seven or eight people and like five or six randomly, uh, I've got a scheduling page and they went and randomly booked the same two days. So I oh had two God. days where it was like, as, as if this were a full-time like network gig or something, uh, I was just talking to people all day for two days and then it, it dried up like a couple weeks later, I had to go like, we need to make sure we've got a few more guests here on the back end. It is difficult to do any version of this, even if it's just like, Hey, jump on and we'll talk about your day. I don't care. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it can be difficult to keep that train rolling. So with these higher objectives, as you guys have, like we need to get, have time to play a game, uh, make sure we capture everything we need. Um, God bless you. That's, <laughs> that seems. I, the, the one advantage that I will say is when you record a game, you usually walk away with three to four episodes, um, which, you know, that means one recording can be a month's worth of content if you're coming out every week. Um, it's true. That is a major feather in our cap, and that makes it a lot easier. Uh, I you know, the way when I look at Critical Role and the way their podcast and stream works, I cannot imagine producing three hours to four hours of content every week. Yeah. That's bananas. Um, yeah. uh, you know, getting a recording, breaking it up hour by hour and releasing things that way. If I do two recordings a month, you know, I'm on a really, really good pace. Um, but doing it any other way, oof, unimaginable to me. Absolutely. And I, I shoot for like, well, I should try to record with somebody once a week if I can. And it's surprising mm -hmm. how, how difficult that can be to do uh, without paying <laughs> yeah. people. So, <laughs> so you transitioned from just playing and playing and playing uh, to, I mean, now it, it's a big focus for you is teaching people to play themselves, to uh, create better, better stuff. I mean, um, while you're still making games to play first of all you must come up with stuff all the time that like you're you're planning to use for a one shot but you probably 
fall in love with stuff that uh, you put together once in a while and don't want to get rid of it right away. Is that, is that ever a thing? Um, uh, How do you mean by that? Like in terms of like setting and world development? Yeah, that's that kind of thing. Things for uh, people to play. Do you find yourself going like, that's kind of too good to get rid of right away. Anything like that? You know, I will say uh, certainly there are things that I want to revisit, um, but also I have a very improvisational style to the way that I approach these games. So usually I have the foundation of like, okay, I know the bare essentials of the rules of the system that we're about to play. I maybe have a basic premise or something that I'm sitting down with, but the rest of it is I'm, I'm following the instincts and ideas of the players at the table. You know, I'm seeing the characters that they create, seeing what those characters want, how those characters see themselves as challenged. And I am, you know, creating a story that reacts to those things. So it's rarely that I put together a world that is like so complex and so precious that I'm like, oh man, I don't want to waste this on a one shot because I'm not manufacturing uh, uh, these things to go out the door. These are made to order. You know, people mm-hmm. sit down, they tell me what they want, and I put on a show for them that is what they want. And that whole experience gets wrapped up in the podcast and, and distributed for for everybody to listen to. Um, I. There have been episodes where we've definitely like come at it with a more premise heavy thing, or um, there was a world that we walked away from the table with uh, where I went, man, this is really cool. But like, yeah, you can always do a sequel to that. And that sequel doesn't even need to be in the same role playing system that you did the first episode with. Yeah, it just seems to me that if you compare what you're doing to say, uh, if I decided to make a, a little series of games or something, I I would do one session of the creative work you do every time you're ready to do another uh, game with with friends. Uh, I would come up with one of those stories, one of those worlds. I could work with it for years if I wanted to, because it could be like, oh, this is great. I'm going to make a game out of it. It's going to get get us through to next year and like, hey, let's go back and do another one. It seems it seems almost unfair, you know? That, well, see, that's the thing about creativity is that ideas are actually pretty easy. Um, like they, they come to you and it's really a decision of whether or not you want to invest in them. Um, mm-hmm. How much effort is a particular idea worth? Is the thing that I have in front of me worth the thing that could be following it? Um and you, you can get to a point, especially like with an improv mindset, where a lot more material is able to be disposable or, um, you know, really just needs to be appreciated for the moment that it creates. And then you can let go because your next idea is really important, too. Um, and, you know, like uh, I, I probably could have come up with some approximation of what, you um, campaign skyjacks is the 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 world of sphere um that, that i created for that show when we were first talking about transitioning out of star wars and, and doing our own thing you know we talked about well hey maybe we're gonna try a bunch of different settings and whatnot and after like two three sessions of skyjacks we were like we want to play this game forever and we'll, we'll just play this game no matter what. Um, but you know, very easily if like the other players are like, yeah, I'd like to move on to a sci-fi thing now simply could have done that as well. You know? Yeah. 
Yeah, we have common ground there for sure, because among uh, game developers, there's a very common refrain that like you come in with the idea and it's like, okay, that's great. Do you have the skill set, the time? Like, do you really want to get your hands dirty with that? Because otherwise, we, those of us who are networked on Twitter or talking around social, like, no one's very protective with ideas. It's like, oh, I've got this idea for a thing about this other situation and here are the mechanics we want to use. Like, no one's really that worried about somebody taking that idea and running because the hard part is what you do over the next, you know, two years about it. Uh, it's, yeah. it's a matter of like how much, how many calories you want to burn with this, you know? Having an appreciation for for the scale of your idea and how easy it is uh, it's going to be to implement, I think, is really critical. I remember um, when a lot of video game development talk uh, was everybody pitching their idea for an MMO. Like <laughs> one of the most resource intensive like things that you could possibly do in that field. Right. And also, you know, I look at tabletop development and many people their first idea for a role playing system is a 300 page core rule book behemoth in the style of dungeons and dragons and yeah. it's like hey maybe see if you can get a 6 to 15 page game like out in the world first figure out what that process looks like don't make your first project like this huge heartbreaker because like there are so many stumbling blocks so many things that stand in your way um and developing something smaller uh uh even if it the idea doesn't feel as precious or special like that can actually lead to a real product that exists in the world or you know a finished thing which is thousands of times more valuable um so yeah like I, we make similar calls like that all the time when when we sit down, run a session and decide, ooh, that's fun. Maybe we should revisit those characters at some point or just go, eh, let this work stand for itself. Yeah. And someone in as far apart from this as I am, it seems to me like we've reached um, – I hear from more people who are saying I'm I'm either working on uh, a rule set for new games or I'm working on new content for this stuff. I mean, has that really ramped up in recent years like it seems to? I'm just I'm going based on what I've noticed. I, I will say there are definitely more people developing more things. And that has been on an upward trend since like the early 2000s when wizards of the coast uh started doing the open game license for uh, for dnd 3.5 like mm -hmm. that that was when wizards basically said hey uh there is a open standard rules definition for dungeons and dragons and you can make your own monsters and your own adventures um and develop it for it as you will, as long as you provide like these attributions and, you know, work within these confines um, and don't use any of our trademark material like the Beholder or the Displacer Beast. And that because D&D 3.5 was something that a lot of people knew um, and a lot of people had been developing material for anyway, because they were playing the game, like it led to a glut of new design and the only obstacle was printing. Um, and 
following that and kind of actually not even following that, like alongside that, there are a lot of indie developers uh, doing things like uh, the the bakers creating the Powered by the Apocalypse uh, core rule set and um, the Fate RPG coming out. There were these like rules templates of like fully functional systems that you simply needed to add your personal spin on or the themes that you are interested to. Uh, to expand into like really fun, different directions. Um, I think having those foundational core systems and Kickstarter and also publishing platforms uh, like, like drive through RPG or itch mm. uh, made the barrier to entry for being a game designer, being somebody who, you know, not just like has the ideas, but like makes their ideas accessible for other people to use. It got way lower. Like yeah. there are so many free programs that allow you to lay things out. All you need to do is have the time and dedication to write something down in order to put your ideas in front of other people. Um, and, you know, whether or not those ideas catch on, like there are all sorts of caveats around that is like, how do I get attention to my product and all of these things? But just producing it is so much easier than it used to be a decade ago, 20 years ago, even five years ago. It's yeah. wild. And it does seem like a very, like once you get into it, it seems like there are so many directions you can go with that skill set. Uh, I just talked to uh, Troy Denning, the author of one of the uh, Halo novels, and he had started with friends doing, um, I mean, he had always been a writer, but he had started doing RPG books, manuals, things like that. And the next thing you know, like he's got bestsellers in uh, Star Wars, Halo, uh, things like that. And and it was stuff that like uh, we had set up our chat through, you know, publicists and stuff like that. And by the time I had talked to him, like the the episode shows up on the Halo website and stuff. And like these people <laughs> have, have done very well for themselves, like really it's an interesting blend of technical knowledge and creativity, which uh, is again for folks doing like games, stuff like this. We, we love that blend. I mean, that's, that's life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, it's a kind of wonderful creative landscape to be in um, to, to a certain point. You know, I, I will say because there are so many people out there, um, I think one of the most common uh, frustrations that I hear is people trying to get their work in front of other people and, you know, sort of like a almost paranoia about like, well, aren't other projects kind of sucking all of the oxygen out of the room? I don't think <laughs> there's an easy answer to that because like, certainly if the thing that you want is to create a new core system that creates its own design revolution that's hard. It's a crowded field. A lot of people are working with like familiar tool sets. Uh, we're not seeing something like powered by the apocalypse, uh, where it's the first time we're seeing this kind of thing and everybody's gravitating towards it because it's easy to understand and it produces like really great things. I think there are many wonderful core systems that, that have done that, that have not seen the same success simply because it's a different era. Um, however, like <laughs> just the fact that there isn't a, you know, $30,000 starting barrier to entry to just produce your books is yeah. enormous. Absolutely yeah. enormous. Absolutely. And what, what I tell people in the, the game development space or uh, any of the disciplines that go into game development, writing art, whatever, it's I, I say, like, it's got to be something that you 
can't just not do in your life. It's you've got to start from that place of like, I love this. I can't bear not to do it. Then you've got a chance because you also have to be okay with if you do it and nothing happens afterward, you still need to be able to be happy and content. And, you know, if the people who tell me, like, I'm going to quit my job as an accountant to make video games and I will pay the bills and all that stuff. I go, you might. I really hope you do if you try. <laughs> like, I yeah. really hope. Yeah. But you need to expect that this is going to be a slow process and it needs to feel rewarding if you're going to do it or or you'll be you'll be broke and miserable. You know, <laughs> I, I think a creative process like like creating something can be a sprint but a a creative like lifestyle is necessarily a marathon yes. and there are going to be different points during your career during your experience as a creative person where you need different kind of motivators uh, uh, to keep you going, to keep you pushing for the next product or through like the project that you're currently on. Um, you know, sometimes what you need is like a, a attention and, and kind words and just having like somebody say, Hey, I played your game uh, and leave a nice comment or, yeah. you know, hearing a podcast where, where they're discussing it, that can be enough to keep you going, but you can hit a barrier where, well, it's actually not passion for what I'm doing that I need. What I really need right now is water. I really need money on yeah. the table in order to be able to continue investing time like this. Um, so yeah, like looking for uh, the kind of encouragement, the kind of passion that you need that help you push through different periods and, and creating, or, you know, being realistic of like, Hey, what do I want this creative life to mean to me? Um, and what do I need out of it? Uh, having that sort of honest assessment, because I think there are a lot of people who say like, oh, you know, I want to do it just to do it. Uh, or, or, you know, they, they're at a period where they really mean that at first. And then they're like, oh no, if I'm going to spend this much time and effort, I really need money for it. Um, which those expectations and, and those motivators can be very different things that lead to different experiences. And a lot of that can be disappointment and frustration. Did I see right? Did I hear right? That uh, in addition to everything else, you uh, recently went through uh, childbirth, right? Well, I didn't. Um, well, you uh, did not. That's true. certainly did. <laughs> Wording. You're but, right. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, uh, re recently had my first kid. Man. Oh, how's that transition going for you? It's been interesting, um, especially like we have kind of at the network organized a partial paternity leave for me. Normally, I am managing both uh, one shot and campaign skyjacks. Um, I had uh, with the help of our uh, project manager here at the network, Tracy Barnett, uh, we, we brought in a bunch of guest hosts for the one shot yes. podcast this year. So, you know, people recorded series kind of in the style that we normally do, like taking different role-playing systems, showing off how they work and, um, you know, putting them on the show, uh, but just doing that with hosts who are not me. Um, yeah. Meanwhile, Skyjacks is like a game that like, really, we can't have anyone else uh, running the show on that one. So I, I, I do still run that show. And there are a bunch of behind the scenes, like, like network president things that like, can't really be passed off to other people. Um, but I have certainly had more time to, uh, you know, adjust to having a very small, very needy person uh, uh, in, in my life. 
that's uh, tremendous. I always enjoy <laughs> talking to other uh, folks in this extended space that we're that we're all in uh, when they make that transition, either becoming parents for the first time, growing the family. Uh, it's always, I mean, moving from one house to another. <laughs> Life changes. When when you do kind of fun, kind of creative, uh, kind of silly at times work, uh, it's a it's an interesting juxtaposition of things of you know stuff like we have to sit on Zoom and and you know crack jokes and have fun for half an hour and then I desperately have to go and finish building a nursery you know things like that it's kind of interesting right yeah yeah certainly and and like the the scope of of kind of what you uh can engage with it, your job changes. Um, I, the, the way my spouse put it is it is a massive shift in priority and yeah. where like a couple of years ago, uh, all tracking all of the new games that like kind of come out and the discussions surrounding them, what, what, what people were saying about different games on Twitter and whatnot, you know, was pretty important to me like something that's really significant and these days um especially right now during my paternity leave it's a lot harder to care you know like who is saying what about whom on on twitter like at the end of the day like that's not keeping a baby alive and those conversations <laughs> are often extremely stressful um yeah. and there's apart from absorbing them and the stress with them it's hard to affect uh, what 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 people are talking about in that. So, uh, like that, I have noticed as a massive change of just like the things that are not the core job, which is you know, uh, creating entertainment, recording these games, making a, a fun experience for people to listen to. Um, that changes with with my priority, and it'll be interesting, you know, as I step off the paternity leave um like coming back like how i will have changed or or what will need to change at the network to kind of accommodate my 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 new life priorities yeah like you said it's it's that different mindset and it almost makes some things simpler because it's easier to sort of triage what gets your time and attention and you it's a much more clear look at what's really important and what's really not and it some things sort of click together for the first time for me. And I, I hope that continues to go that way for you as well, because it, it is very interesting. <laughs> yeah, it would it would be great to walk away with like a discovery of like a bunch of uh, things that are important and new ways to prioritize those, certainly. Because it comes from necessity. You pretty much have to or you will be um, in over your head, I think, is is the best way to put it. <laughs> Somebody told yeah. me, uh, make a new list of everything you want to get done after the baby gets there and throw it away. And I thought that was great <laughs> advice, <laughs> but, uh, very cool. So as we kind of wrap things up, um, let new folks, uh, know where to sort of, uh, follow you, uh, check out the shows and such. Uh, so if you want to hear my shows, uh, the best place is heading to your favorite podcast application, searching either one shot, uh, campaign skyjacks or James D'Amato. Um, uh, those will pull up my shows. Um, you just need to subscribe to subscribe to them the way that you subscribe to this one. You can also check out one shot podcast.com, uh, that has every show on the network, not just mine. 
Um, and you can, if you want to read my books or, you know, you would like to expand character backstories, uh, develop, uh, some worlds of your own or, uh, check out like, uh, the ultimate micro RPG book where we have 42 page, uh, role-playing games by various, uh, designers and authors. Some of the most talented folks in the space today, uh, you can pick those up wherever books are sold, um, or, you know, all, all online retailers. But I usually recommend if you've got a friendly local game store or an indie brick and mortar bookshop, give them a call, um, and say, Hey, I'm interested in these books. Uh, in some cases they might need to special order them in, but it's always worth it, uh, to support an independent retailer. Finally, if you just want to find me and get in contact with me, best place is on Twitter, uh, where I am at one shot RPG. Very cool. Easy enough and great idea supporting your local shop. And uh, I, I recommend it. I have loved uh, taking a look through the Ultimate RPG Character Backstory Guide. I'm going to have to get my hands on some of the other books to take a look at because uh, I love what you're doing. I love the uh, the show concepts, the book concepts. This is all great stuff. So uh, we will for sure be listening and waiting for whatever's next. And uh, good luck with all of it. Well, thank you so much. All right. If you enjoy Game Dev Breakdown, please follow or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find more episodes at anchor.fm slash gamedevbreakdown. You can find news and other fun stuff that we do at codewriteplay.com. If you want to reach out on Twitter, you can hit up at gamedevpod, at codewriteplay, or me, Mechatodzilla, with one D and two L's. Feel free to get in touch about the show, guests you might like to hear, anything you can think of. If you're interested in my book, Inside Video Game Creation, that is still available just about everywhere, and there's a lot more fun stuff on the way. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a good one, and we will talk to you very soon.